Hello, I'm Nancy Jackson. Welcome to the very first edition of Elder Voices, a podcast that features the voices and stories of notable Colorado elders. We started this podcast because after years of working in politics and in various communities, we've met many amazing people across the state that have accomplished really important things. We think they should be recognized and that you would be interested in their stories as we are. Today, my co-host Carolyn Bowler and I are having a conversation with Dr. Barbara Shannon Bannister, an award-winning community leader. Dr. BSB was raised in New Orleans, where she studied piano, violin, and voice, and was an activist for civil rights. After marrying her sweetheart, Gordy Bannister Sr., they left for Wyoming, where Gordy got a job. After living in Wyoming for many years, they moved to Aurora, where Dr. BSB worked for the city for 25 years as the Chief of Community Relations. Barbara Shannon Bannister has a son and a daughter, both very successful professionals. Sadly, Dr. BSB's beloved husband, Gordy, passed away in 2020. For a list of just some of Dr. BSB's accolades, please check our show notes in today's podcast description. This quotation seems to exemplify Dr. Shannon Bannister's work. It's not to say that races are banging our heads together, but we have differences and we look at life differently, she said. So why can't I understand what you like to eat and where you like to party and where you like to go, what church you go to, etc.? You get to know me and I get to know you and you're not afraid of me and I'm not afraid of you. And now... We're so proud to introduce you all to the talented and dedicated fighter for civil rights, an artist, and so much more, Dr. Shannon Bannister. So just to begin, did I get those details right? Yes, they're they're, they're right, but I'll embellish on some of them because over time things have changed, but all of that is correct. That's great, and it's impressive. (laughs) It really is. So again, thank you for your time today. Actually, I think I first met you in the 1980s, and I actually applied to be on the Community Relations um, Board. The Human Relations? uh, The Human Relations Committee, Uh and I was not accepted. (laughs) (laughs) No. Tell me me that the council didn't appoint you? Because that's who appoints appoints all the commissions and boards. I know. So, at any rate, since that time... You weren't known. They didn't know what you had in the backpack. That's right. That's right. Thank you. At any rate, since those days, the first question for you is kind of the one that's kind of a generic one, but do you want to tell us a little bit about your your background and your family? Uh, It sounds very interesting growing up in New Orleans at that time. You want to tell us about how that was for you? Well, New Orleans was uh, the segregated South. Um, you never, well, you had, well, you were afraid. I can remember, let me just, one incident I remember when my husband came back from service and there was uh, a white uh, colleague who wanted to come and visit us, and I said, well, let me make sure, because I don't want you to be in danger. I said, I'm not afraid for myself, but that was not the, the, the way things happened. So he did come to visit us, and we were very careful about it, uh, and uh, I, nothing happened to him, but that was not the associated uh, communication way that blacks and whites uh, interacted with each other. Most times it was blacks who worked for whites, mm-hmm. and um, our blacks had their own businesses and so forth. See, integration, I think, killed all of that. We thought integration was going to be the great thing that was going to happen, and we would main, black people would maintain. I mean, my doctor visited my house when I was sick. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to go to the hospital. My pastor was there. The pharmacist was there. So all of these were... Were, were parts of the black community, so therefore we, we didn't really have to go out of our community except if we wanted to go to the hospital. And then there was a black hospital and there was a white hospital. There was Tulane and LSU, which, were, which, they, which they called teaching hospitals. But this, and this mm-hmm. is what they still are because they teach their students to be doctors and nurses, etc. So uh, with that, 
with integration that uh, that prohibited or it put a stop to black people getting uh, information, uh, funds, and a whole lot of other support to maintain the businesses that they had. Because mm. now those in power are saying, we've got integration, why should we have a black one and a white one? It's going to be one, and who do you think it's going to be? So they sucked resources from the black community. Yes. So was there any advantages to the integration, or did do you see I don't it mostly think, as... I don't, I don't, when I look back, I don't think there were advantages at, at my at that age for me. Because mm -hmm. I was, at that, that, at that point, I was a young teenager. Uh, and as you know, New Orleans is a Catholic city and a Catholic state. So I'm a Protestant. Mm -hmm. So uh, while I helped my father... Uh, teach black folks how to read the preamble with mm. the people of the United States so that they can go and be able to read it when they went to register to vote. I started doing that with them when I was very young and uh, to get them eligible to vote. And so I did that, I went through elementary school and I think one grade in high school. And then, well, I was, I was at the junior school of music at Xavier University. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the HBCUs, mm -hmm. here, the historical black colleges. And so when I was <clears throat> when I was uh, in elementary school, I was t I was taking violin and piano, and voice and organ too. Because wow. at that point in time, there were very there were very few occupations for for black females. Mm -hmm. So you either were training to be a nurse, mm -hmm. or a teacher, or a musician, in a church, or God forbid, a band. Because I didn't play big boogie woogie in my house. So, you know, it was all it was all amazing grace in my house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so therefore, I wasn't. I can remember my father. Well, anyway, that's another story. It went out. He said, "Barbara, make sure you turn off your radio before you go to sleep." And a lot of nights, I didn't do that. He'd come in there and touch my radio, and it, it would be hot because I'd hear him get up. <laughs> come and turn my radio off because I'd be listening to symphonic music and other stuff because that's what I, mm. what I was engaged in. But anyway, it, it took resources from us. So I got married because I had to, had to have my mother's permission because I wasn't of the age oh. to get married yet. So they had to sign for me to get married. And I got married and then we had a child, Gordia. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want her to grow up in the segregated South. And my family uh -huh. had, uh, my father was a furniture, uh, furniture store owner. We had a, a rooming house. Because in those days, when people came from what we call the country, mm -hmm. uh, rural areas, and they didn't have money enough to buy a house or anything, so you had, and I know you must have seen it in movies where sure. people, so that's what he had. And I think he had, uh, when I think about the number of 40, 12, 16 units, so that was mm -hmm. quite a bit of money, and then plus uh, the, um, the furniture store. My mother had, was a, had been a teacher, but... Teachers, black uh, women, couldn't go to regular colleges, so they called it normal. Uh-huh. So normal were, school. Yeah, so they were missing that fourth year. I don't mm -hmm. know how they incorporated all that into that, those three years, but it wasn't a four-year college, but it was specifically for teaching. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they understood that if they got married, they couldn't teach anymore. Mm -hmm. So once uh -huh. my mother got married, she couldn't teach. So therefore, and but she was a good seamstress, and I think she did sewing. My aunt was a seamstress, and she did sewing. I never saw my mother do a lot of sewing except for me and my sister. I had a, had a sister. My younger sister was five years younger than me. Mm -hmm. uh, she died at the age of 41 of breast cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. So uh, let me get back to the, to the story. So, but we had traveled back east and other places. And I knew there was something different and more than segregation. Mm -hmm. And I knew that in other parts of the country where people were integrated, there were avenues of advancement and involvement. So we packed up with my four-month-old baby, and we moved to Casper, Wyoming. You said when, when you had the gentleman come to your house in, in uh, New Orleans that you had to be careful. And I was wondering what that meant, and what do you do to be careful? Well, what you do is because 
other people see somebody who's white mm -hmm. coming into your house, and they might tell somebody. And it might get it, get to someone you wouldn't want to know that you had a white person visiting you or having dinner with you or whatever. So that might be a leak. And I don't, I'm not suggesting that anybody would do that purposely, but they might say, look, you know, the banisters had a white man at their house the other night. And what would happen? Somebody might come and ask us about it. They did knock on the door and say, who's in the house? Yes, they could have. That's pretty intimidating. Of course. Yeah. And what, what do you think would have happened to the, to, the, to the guests? I mean, it's bad enough for us, but for the guests that lives in another part of the world, another, mm -hmm. and no problems whatsoever, coming down to visit with somebody he's been in the military with for four right. years, right. and now i got to be scared of being in his, in his, in his house. So, Barbara, what year was that? Oh, that probably was. Let me see. We moved to Wyoming, uh, 55, 56. I would say 56, 57. Mm -hmm. 56, yeah, because we moved in 57. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's leave, because we could spend a lot of more time in well, New whatever, Orleans. Well, whatever, wherever you want to go. go. Let's go to Casper, and I'm wondering what, what you thought, going from New Orleans, which is this rich multicultural gumbo of a city going to Casper, Wyoming. Well, what was that like? What were your first impressions? It was impressions? culture shock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was culture shock where you come from New Orleans where everything is open all night long. You can get sandwiches, food, you know, do anything you want to. Nothing mm -hmm. ever closes or anything. And here I had a four-month-old baby and, the, and we went by train. So from New Orleans to Chicago... And we were reason well. I think that was the what it was called, the Chicago Limited. Gordy had gone to electronics school after he had gotten out of the mm. service in Chicago. So it was something he wanted to pick up because he was going to this new job. So we stayed in the train station. And I often think about. It. I sit. In, I sit sometimes, and I think. I said, I wonder what would have happened to me if Gordy would never have come back. I'd have been sitting in that train oh my station. Gosh. Well, I know it would have happened to me reluctantly. I'd have gone back home, mm -hmm. but I would have never lived that down with my mother because she said, "This is what you wanted, so you made your bed." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, we so, all heard that. Yes. 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 So, uh, so I, I often think about that, and I thought, "No, he wouldn't have done that." But I just this the thought ran through my mind. But yeah. anyway, got on the train from Chicago, then to Omaha, and then to Casper. And when the train stopped in Casper, I looked out the window and I said, nothing out there. And they said, well, yeah, this is Casper, Wyoming. This is the last stop. I said, what do you mean the last stop? And he says, well, yeah, we turn around and we go back to Omaha. <laughs> Get me back to Omaha. So, thought, oh, so was it tempting to go back to Omaha? It might have been, but <laughs> I, had, I, I didn't have a ticket to go back. Oh, yeah. So you got out of the out. train. They had one drive-in. Yeah. People, the, Jerry and his wife, he had married a German woman, and she was dear to us all of her life. She mm -hmm. was just a wonderful, her name was Chris, and uh, he had arranged for us to have an apartment. Everything was laid out for us, and everything was going to be, uh, you know, just perfect for us. Mm -hmm. And Jerry worked at the same store that Gordy was going to work at. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said, my daughter was four months old, because she was born in September. And we moved out there in January. It was like 72 degrees when we left New Orleans. Oh, and gosh, it must yes. have been 10 or 20 below when we got yes. to Wyoming. So it was like... You didn't have clothes for that. No. Well, I mean, we had an overcoat, but you know, it wasn't. So it was, it was culture shock. And as I said, uh, we had an apartment, and then, then the people moved from upstairs, and then we had the whole upstairs floor. And I could see buses passing. And every day I would look out there to see who was on the bus, but there was never any black folks. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, here we are. Are you going? Of course, I'm not going back home. I don't care what's happened to me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going back home and suffer what my mother's going to put me through. Uh, if we, if I reluctantly, they didn't want me to get married, and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. uh, I, I wanted to anyway. So I did something that they didn't want me to do. And for me to go back again, go back home, and for them to tell me that until yeah, till the end of time, yeah. that wasn't going to happen yeah. for me. Yeah. 
So but we had a good living. And that was, as I said, that was the first franchise for uh, United Cable. And they offered Gordy a job with United Cable. And, mm -hmm. I, and I say to him, I used to say to him before he died, just think if you had taken that job. United Cable has so many franchises all over, everywhere. Mm -hmm. But Gordy said to me, I am not getting up in the middle of the night to go up on top of Casper Mountain and tie, uh, uh, climb one of those uh, antenna things yeah. to get the, the television station fixed. He said, I'm just not going to do that. I mean, I, I badgered him night and day. <laughs> Take that job. He wouldn't. But I now understand he, it yeah. was not something he wanted to do. He rather to stay where he was. And that's what he and Jerry did. And then Jerry went out on his own. I tried to get Gordy to get out, go out on his own, but he never he never did. So mm -hmm. anyway, that was Casper, Wyoming. Wow. Uh, I was the, the town's uh, organist for every funeral. Oh. Every so every time there was somebody who died, I was the one who played for them mm. at their funeral. I babysat. I did uh, surveys for oil companies. I was the the vice chair for the Democratic Party, uh, you name it. I taught school. I did everything that I could. Then, then uh, what was it? Uh, the oil company came to me and asked me to come and work for them. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, I was going to be their token, but sure. in, in my mind, I, they were my token, too. <laughs> so uh, I went to work for them, and, you know, we had a really good life. And then my son was born about a year after we got there. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you something that Ed, that I always remember. When I had my daughter in New Orleans, the doctor says, see you next year, Barbara, is what he said. Interesting. When I had my son, my doctor said, Barbara, you don't have to do this every year. See, I knew nothing about birth control right. or anything. Oh, yeah. So he said, you don't have to do this every year. I said, well, what do I have to do? Said, don't worry, we'll take care, and we did. Wow. Well, those were no. days where there weren't a lot of options. No. So you were lucky that you had a doctor who. And I just loved him, Doctor Holman. He just he he dressed. He was a fine Western dresser. Oh, he was just absolutely. In fact, he he did an operation on me every time I looked down here. I remember him. Mm. He was a wonderful doctor. So speaking of dressing, I'm going to change the channel here a little bit and just ask you, um, unfortunately, our people that are listening to the podcast can't see you, but you are always dressed to the nines. Thank you. Your, your nails are always exquisitely done with jewelry and <laughs> things, and you're always wearing lots of, you know, necklaces, and but, but you also the clothes you wear, your hair design, you're always just gorgeous. So what, did you get that from your mother, or yes. how did you develop that from sense mother. of style? From my mother. And you, in New Orleans, you had a conglomeration of cultures. There was a Jewish culture, and the Jewish culture were the people who made suits and stuff, mm -hmm. and tailors. So my mother and father always had their clothes tailor-made, and they had matching suits. Oh, my. So, and I always had a dressmaker that when I needed clothes, the dressmaker made my evening gowns, my whatever I was going to wear, etc. So that's the way I was brought up. And she was very ornate and everything. Now, my sister was just the opposite. Mm -hmm. She didn't like all that jewelry. And I could, uh, the one thing that's not, not a pleasant thought, I remember going to see her when she was dying. And, she, and when I walked into her hospital room, she said, are you wearing perfume? And I said, yes, I am. She said, please take it off. Mm. So I guess because of the chemo, Mm, it made us yeah. very, very sensitive it to odors, etc. Yeah. So, uh, so let me back up before going all the way out there. I went to boarding school. Oh. In uh, Rock Castle, Virginia. And someone said, well, why did he send you to boarding school, to a Catholic boarding school? I said, look, my father was a deacon in the Baptist church. Mm -hmm. I said, there was no way in the world he was going to send his daughter to a Catholic school uh, and people would know that it was a, they didn't know it was a Catholic school mm -hmm. because he was well known in the community as a Protestant person who, oh. so therefore he certainly wouldn't have done that so I went to boarding school for three years but out of state from New Orleans to Rock Castle, Virginia and that's right outside of Richmond 
So was that a culture change for oh, you? Oh, Lord. I cried for nights. Oh, yeah. Just because you were away from home? Uh, I guess. I, yes, it's part of it. But you know what? We still, we, we, we have reunions. In fact, we have another reunion coming up in June. One, the classes used to have reunions mm -hmm. because we used to have chapters. Used to be a chapter in New Orleans. Used to be mm -hmm. a chapter in Washington, a chapter in New York. Most of the students came from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And so, and there were a few of us that came from Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. And very few of us who were Protestants. Most of the students were Catholic. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, it, the training was very good. And, well, let me just sit, uh, insert this. The Catholic nun, oh, God, well, now that I've said that, now I can't <laughs> think of her name. And she's buried at, at uh, Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. Uh, and, it's, it's, and she's part of the Bouvier family. Mm. The Jacqueline Kennedy's family. Ah. And that's a whole nother story, you know. We, we could probably be here all night, but I'm not going to talk all night. Just there are all kinds of little things that make me remember yeah, certain things stories. like that. Because they bought the, the places where we lived in, in, in Virginia, there was a boys' military school ah. and a girls' finishing school. Mm -hmm. We didn't go to school with the boys. The only time we saw the boys was on a Friday night when we had a dance once a year when it wasn't lit. When it was lit, we didn't do any of that. Mm. We had to, we'd walk around reading religious books and so forth. But, uh, and they, so I guess that used to be a, like a plantation. It was right along the, the James oh. River. And they converted it into schools for Negroes and Indians. So was it a finishing school for black girls? Yes, a military uh. school for boys and a finishing school for girls. So he got finished. And so which one got converted to a school, you said, for Negroes and Indians? Well, was that, the, that, was because the of, that was because of integration, and we couldn't go into uh, all kinds okay. of schools. And so the Catholics, and I guess under the Bouvier family, they decided after, let's, let's establish a school for Negroes and Indians. In uh. fact, there was a woman... Um, I can't even think of her name. She was a police officer, Denver police officer, helping somebody on the highway. And somebody ran into her, and she had been at St. Francis. Oh. And she lost her leg, but that was many, many, many years ago. Mm. Uh. So I'm going to get back to some okay. of our questions. Okay. Um, but it is fascinating, I will tell you, that and it's kind of fun to follow can you talk about starting the coming to Aurora and starting the Aurora branch of the NAACP? It has just really made such an impact in the community. I was, I used to, with, when I used to do the Martin Luther King events, mm -hmm. I was in contact with people from the NAACP. And what I noticed with our city council that whenever anyone came up to speak, they were always asked to say their name and where they lived. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, I'm Barbara Shannon Batterson, I live in Aurora, Colorado. But if they said they lived somewhere else, you could almost see the, the dynamics of the council change. Because the council really wasn't interested in you commenting on our city, and I wasn't interested in you know, what you're going to say either. Mm -hmm. You don't live here. Don't come and criticize my city about what they are doing or are not doing. So there was a time when the Denver branch had, the Denver NAACP had three branches. So when we, my, and my husband had been president of the Aurora branch. And we used to come down here for, for state meetings. It was uh, Wyoming, Colorado, and uh, Montana. And so we, we came, we came down here for a meeting, and there was some, some discussion about something that had happened in the, the Denver branches. They sent someone out here to have a, a people talk about it or comment about it. And so they asked me if I, they called me because I was president of the Human Relations Commission, asked me if I would comment. I said, no, I will not comment about Denver's NAACP, but what I tell you what I do want. I want 
your help to get to maintain a chapter in Aurora. So mm -hmm. I got somebody from um, uh, who, the president, the person that's the president of, of the national NAACP right now. He was in Florida, huh. and so I got him and some other folks uh, to be put in the word for me that if I got, I think it was 500 signatures, they would give me a charter, and that's how it happened. I got mm -hmm. the 500, not by myself, a lot of folks helped me get 500 signatures. I submitted it, they gave us a charter, and that's how I got started 30 years ago. 30 years ago, and that's still going strong. Absolutely. That's fantastic, that's fantastic. Um, so along with that, we were wondering, and you kind of touched on it earlier about some of the barriers that you've encountered um, in your in your life, and so um, one of them that we were thinking about in particular was barriers to voting. Now you talked about that a little bit in in terms of your experience in New Orleans, but once you left the South, have you encountered any barriers to voting with your colleagues or yourself? Not especially. But I think because I was always on the side, on the positive side of it, and people, if they were having difficulties, they didn't either approach me or they approached me because they thought I could, uh, could help them get the, the, the option to vote. When I was in Wyoming, there, we're, we're still, Wyoming still doesn't have a million people. Mm -hmm. And blacks are less than 1%, so that, that we were no threat Ah. to the powers that be. Mm -hmm. What you want, let's put it on there, let's see. I mean, I, I was elected. I was elected as a, uh, me and my husband both, as ward leaders. Ah. So for years and years, we, we were elected officials in, in Casper. And when we left, we just said, you know, this is it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I said I wasn't going to pursue that anymore. I came to Denver, and your system, the way you have your caucuses and stuff, Yeah. Was much is much different than the way we have in Casper, uh, and I for whatever reason it didn't set quite didn't gel with me. I did it for about a year or so, mm -hmm. or two years, and then I said no, I don't want to do this anymore because I was on the central committee for a while, and mm. then I said no, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. But there weren't any barriers in in Wyoming. Okay. And so when I moved from Wyoming, I chose to live in New Orleans, in Aurora. Mm -hmm. I said I say all the time, my car didn't just break down, and I decided <laughs> to stay here. I flew down here every weekend because my husband had gotten the job with the Department of Labor, and so he was beginning to live down here. He'd come home, drive home on a Friday night, get home about ten o'clock mm -hmm. on a, on Monday morning. He'd leave about four o'clock in the morning and get back to. Denver in time to go to work. So he was living down here, and I would come down every weekend and we'd look for a place mm -hmm. to move. And then we finally, when I saw that Aurora was just 70,000 folks, and I thought, well, this is a very young city. Yeah. You know, I can yeah. get in on the ground floor and I can help the city grow. There's so many things I want to know about and do. And, and he said, why not Denver? I said, why? Denver's established. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you have you have a hard time breaking into those people who feel like they have established whatever happens in Denver, politically, right. religiously, or whatever. So that's why I chose Aurora. And we look at we look at us now, almost 400,000 from 70,000 people. Yeah, it's huge. So what year was that? Um, because I worked for Aurora for 40 years, almost 40 years. In 82, I became an employee for Aurora. I became a VISTA volunteer in 1977, I think it was, Volunteers in Service to Aurora, mm -hmm. because I moved down here and I got bored. Yeah. <laughs> you like to do things. So speaking of doing things, tell us about Grand Design. I think a lot of people don't know that side of you. Um, obviously, you have you took violin lessons. You were the town organist. You you have uh, you know. A, a, it seems to me a large side, a big side of you is um, my music. Music. I was trying to get back to my music. So when I um, when I graduated from the University of Wyoming, actually I didn't graduate. I didn't do it the the uh, regular way. Just a little tidbit. Uh, 
our vice president and my, my kids graduated from the same high school. So, so that tells you how big Wyoming Castro mm -hmm. was. Cheney and my yes. kids mm -hmm. graduated from the same high school. So uh, I wanted to, when I was at the University of Wyoming, they said, well, you have enough credits because in my three years at, at, the, at Sevier, I had enough credits because we were having credit hours. Mm -hmm. and, and I think at that point in time, colleges were, we were having semester hours, and it was a difference in the way they calculated. Mm -hmm. And so he said, they said, well, you have enough credits, semester hours to graduate, but you got to come on campus. Said we can't, we won't be able, we won't give you this degree unless you come on campus. Yeah. So for yeah. a semester, I got on that bus on a Monday morning, and I rode to to uh, Laramie. Mm -hmm. On a, and I had all my classes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Got on the bus on Thursday and came back home. Oh wow! So I did that for a for a semester. You dedicated and driving from Casper to no, Laramie. No, from Aurora. Oh, to Laramie. Oh, oh, to Laramie. Yeah, so I did it, and so it was Humanities and Fine Arts. Because uh -huh. I was trying to get back to my music, so mm -hmm. that's why I attached Fine Arts to it. And so once that was finished and I got it, and then I said, well, I need to go for my master's. So I like to study. Uh, and so I just began to study, study, go for my master's. But anyway, I wanted to get back into my music. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was at a church where I was the director of music of the choirs. Mm -hmm. I had a male chorus and I had uh, a senior choir. And and I was uh, doing cantatas and wow. so forth. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do that separately, but in the city. I didn't see a lot of that happening. So hooked up with the uh, Aurora Public Schools. And do you remember when they had a place over at Crawford Elementary? They had, they built a, like a little city inside of Crawford Elementary. Oh, no, I didn't know about that. And uh, so that's where, and I would do after school programs for the kids, teaching oh. them music and stuff. Nice. And so, uh, and the schools were uh, paying for all of the, the things that were happening, mm -hmm. but I also got in connection with SCFD, mm -hmm. Scientific Culture mm -hmm. and Facilities yeah. District. Right for Adams County and, and Arapahoe County. In fact, Adams County was the first county that gave me $10,000 nice. to begin to do that with the use in Adams County. And don't cross Colfax when you across yeah. the street. It's right. Arapahoe County. Right. So I tell all my people, do not go across that street and do not use that money. Do not intertwingle that money because we'll, they'll catch you. Don't do it. Yeah. So that's how I got involved. Uh -huh. So when... When we left Crawford, because they decided they were going to do something different, Boys and Girls Club was there, and I helped establish Boys and Girls Club. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we would go over there, and we had teachers that taught classes every night from 5 until 9. And oh. we taught uh, drama, we had uh, plays, we, had, we taught some piano, we had choirs. You could wow. you name it, and we did it. Creative. So that's how we began to build... Uh, a curriculum mm -hmm. for the kids in Adams County, and so that's how I got how, how Grand Design got started. And is it still going? Oh yeah. So tell us what what's on offer right now. Right now we're doing a lot of pod class podcasts podcasts. That's not a word. Podcast, and uh, we 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 just well one of the places we just went to was Boulder mm -hmm. because they're doing a Colorado History of Blacks. Oh. And their museum down there just got $250,000 for a three-year grant to do it for Colorado. So me and my person, who is my uh, PR person, and we drove down there. We left my house at 3 o'clock on a Friday evening, went down there. Everything was paid for, food, travel, everything. And when I stepped back into my kitchen, on Saturday, it was 3.23 on my clock radio, hmm. on my clock on my stove. So they've just got, but they, you know, they partnered with the, the museum. Mm -hmm. And that's how they got that huge grant. The museum, the D.C. museum? No, the, the, the museum in Boulder. Oh, okay. And the regent, uh, I know you're familiar with the, the, the new young woman that's the regent for Colorado. 
She's a young black woman. Said it's the first time in 44 years. Oh, Wanda James. Yeah, she was yes. there. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, they they had 30 RSVPs and 50 people showed. Oh, dear. Wow. So I was glad somebody remembered me from when Clinton had his, uh, what was the name of that project? Uh, Clinton invited a whole bunch of us back to the White House to, for a three-day conference to discuss race. Mm -hmm. And that was the, near the end of his term. And somebody remembered me from, not somebody, I can't even think of the person's name, said, did you call Barbara and Aurora because she knows more about it. And so they called me, huh? and I went up. So there's going to be a history project coming from Boulder. Yeah. Is it going to be all over the, the yes, state? Yes, because there were people there from everywhere, even some people from Kentucky. But there were people there from various places in Colorado. That would be really interesting. Maybe as, I, as I'll connect you. That would be I'll great. You. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, because I think I want to make sure that all of the, the 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 people in Aurora know about this because you'll at least get the the minutes and know when things are going on. I don't know when they're going to have the next gathering. They just call right. it a gathering, but they talked about Deerfield and they talked about uh, another place where they said uh, black folks used to come in and they didn't have any place to go and party, and mm -hmm. they, so they established this place where uh, actresses and actors would come, and they'd have a weekend here, and of course that was mm -hmm. way before my time, and I don't even remember some of those folks, but right. it's, it's history that we don't know, that we don't know about. So we, we'll stay tuned and, and watch yeah, out well, for oh, that don't you project. Worry. You will be Sounds connected, I, I'll make sure. Thank you. So, um, moving along again. What what what's your vision for the future? Are you, are you optimistic about the future? What what do you think? I'm politically I'm scared. When I think about Aurora and the police department and where we are right now, I am. And this is Dan also tell you this is what I told him mm, a month ago at the police graduation. We were talking and he was saying, you know what. What do you think, Barbara? I said, I'm scared. I said, I'm really scared for Aurora. I said, because I, I feel like things are going on in back rooms <clears throat> and under the table, <clears throat> and the people are not being told the truth about what's happening here. Hmm. And, and he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't have to tell you. You know, <laughs> you're in the back rooms with them, aren't you? Hmm. I said, I don't need to tell you that with uh, the things that have happened. And I said with, you know, with uh, the George Floyd and Elijah McClain, do you know, I said, that's going to be hanging over our heads for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And people are going to always refer to it, and that's always going to be something when someone wants to give a defense, they're going to say, remember when you did such and such. Mm -hmm. And so I said, so I'm, I'm not... I'm afraid, I'm not terrified, but I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. Things are happening, when I look at, uh, what is it, the network, the net, net something that uh, every you can tune into and see people saying various other things. Twitter, you mean? No, 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 it's, it's, it's a free program in, in Aurora. And, uh, oh, I may uh, not be on it. Yeah, you, but you may want to get on it. You may want to put your, hmm. you may not want to comment. It's like Facebook, but you don't have to say anything For if you Aurora? don't want to. Pardon me? For Aurora. Yes. Hmm. And so you see things that people are saying uh, about things in Aurora, and you just want to see what the temperature of it is. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll comment if it's somebody's, uh, there was something I just commented on. Like next door. Next door. Next oh, it's door next door. That's next door. door. That's what it is. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And you, you don't have to comment or anything, but there's a lot, you, you look at it and, and it says who the person is and, mm -hmm. and what, you know, what neighborhood they might be in and so forth. And it's very interesting to see what people are thinking and people, you know, what they, what they feel about things. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is with, with these cameras, you see things happening and then people say, well, we called the police and they wouldn't come. Mm -hmm. So that makes it, that makes it sound like police are not responding, but when something else is going on, 
somewhere else and somebody just stole a package off your porch, that's not important. I mean, that's not as important as other things right. that they might be trying. And the, the force, the numbers of the police are diminishing. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. they haven't, they're not, nobody, the first four that, I, that I'm told, now this is hearsay, we had four applicants for police chief. Mm -hmm. One by one, they decided to go. Wow, they dropped out. That's right. And I remember one of the council members saying, and he had the bold thing to say that he didn't want to come, that he decided he didn't want to be the, the sacrificial lamb. And I thought to myself, why would you feel that was a bold statement? I mean, three people have dropped out. He's the last one. Mm -hmm. And yes, he said, no, I don't think I want to come to a I didn't know. I didn't think they'd get anybody. Wow. So overall, so the, this issue of the police department in Aurora is it's very concerning. Absolutely concerning. I, I can't pronounce the gentleman's name because I don't even know if he was one of the people. He's a friend of, he's a fr I'm told, he's a friend of Oates, and, and Oates uh, got him to apply, mm -hmm. and they appointed him. Mm. But see, when they do things like that and don't let the community have any say-so about it, mm -hmm. any real say-so about it, it comes about back to bite us. So I hear... But I don't want to be, let me, let me, it's not because I'm not on it. Uh, it's not, that's not what right. I'm feeling. I'm feeling that that's why you have black folks afraid to want to be a police officer. Now, there's a difference in African Americans and black Americans. African Americans don't fear the police like black Americans do. The one thing about it is speech and environment. The minute an officer stops an African-American and they speak, they treat them differently because they hear an accent. They know they're not an American. So when you're talking about African-American, you're talking about Ethiopian, Nigerian. Okay. So first generation, second generation from Africa versus black American. They were all who were enslaved. That's what the word is, enslaved. Mm -hmm. Not, they, weren't, they were enslaved because they were brought here. Yes. So there's a difference in how you evaluate them. And so, so those two groups, because I'm, I'm wondering, you know, oftentimes we talk about um, the need to reach out to the community, and I hear this a lot, and the question is, well, who is that, and how do we reach out mm -hmm. to them? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about well, that see, a little bit? Well, you see, there were, there were things that I don't think the police followed up on a lot of things. Let's say, let's go back to... Uh, uh, Rhonda Fields. Oh, Rhonda. When oh, that happened... Okay, when that happened about her son. Oh, yes. We said, <clears throat> at that time, we ought to initiate some things in the community so that when things like this happen, we embrace the community and they know that we are really looking mm -hmm. to resolve this and get involved and have people step up who will be our supporters when things come, out, mm -hmm. come about. Mm -hmm. Now, I, th I don't know, I'm trying to think, it seems to me seven, what, 16 years, uh, Oates was here 16 years ago. No, maybe it wasn't Oates. Maybe it hasn't been that long that Oates. I think, uh, let's initiate a process so that when things like this happen, we immediately approach the, 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 uh, the people in that area. Mm -hmm. We know where they got shot when they were killed. Okay, let's do a, there must be a clubhouse or a church or something over mm -hmm. there. Let's go over there and have a community meeting and mm -hmm. have people talk about their frustrations yeah. and they're, they're scared and, and, and what can we do to help them? What can they do to help us? Mm -hmm. I said, that can be the beginning of connecting with the, with the community. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't care whether they play basketball or football. I'm not in, I realize there are other folks that are interested in those things. Right. I'm not. Right. But I'm, I'm interested in the connection. 
Mm-hmm. And that could have been the beginning of the police initiating a race talk. It didn't have to be called race talk. It could have been called anything. Mm-hmm. But we will, if you establish that one in that community where this horrible thing happened, yeah. and then begin to duplicate it in other places, it could have been in every ward. Yeah. It could have been a place in every ward. Every time something happened, that church knew that they would open their doors and mm-hmm. have your members come and let's sit down and talk with the police. Mm-hmm. So see, you didn't have to get out and go door to door or anything. I tried to get them to do that, but they didn't listen. So I said, yeah. okay. I know I, that after I the... Do it. I couldn't do it myself. Well, no. I wasn't interested in doing it myself. It wasn't my... It's my business, but it's the police. The police, it's their option to, to establish yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, after the um, theater shooting in Aurora, yes. they had a, that um, center in Hoffman Heights mm-hmm. where they did something similar. So, But they could have continued. I understand. There's a church in every ward. Mm-hmm. And if there's one church in every ward who say, we will be the receiver receivership church, whenever anything happens in this ward, we will make sure the, note, the word gets out to everybody mm-hmm. in our ward. That'll be easy. We've got neighborhood, we've got neighborhood groups. Right. I mean, we've got the names of people in neighborhood associations mm-hmm. and HOAs. Right. How come we couldn't do that? Why, why, why are we so... I'm, I don't know why I'm asking you that. You, you no, it's know. We just ask you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, why are we so reluctant to, to use those avenues that we have sitting right there in front of us? Yeah. yeah it's, so I hear your frustration. After all these years of activism... And um, and really trying your best to further, you know, further equal rights and, and further opportunity. Partnerships, that's all. Do you see any any hope for optimism? Is there a, is there any kind I of? I have to. I have to always seek hope. So for what optimism. what what do you see that's hopeful? I see that I serve a God who believes in righteousness, a God who believes in forgiveness. Uh, a God who certainly forgives me for the wrong things that I do, and I have to give my my sister and my brother, and I have to embrace everybody, mm-hmm. no matter who they are, mm-hmm. what they are, what they believe, because their strength in the great beyond is just like mine. It may not be on the same road or the same path, but we all want the very same thing for ourselves. We want great things for our children, for ourselves. We want to live a comfortable life, and we want to die happy and feel like we've contributed to this world to make it a better place. And sometimes, sometimes we get off track, and we don't remember. Barbara, you you ain't all that. You didn't do all And I told tell people that all, it's not what I did. It's with the God in... in, in allowed me to do. It's not that I had all these things written down, the things I was going to do. And when I look back at my list and I thought, how did you do all that? (laughs) And then I say to myself, you didn't do all that. There's a lot of people in this world, and most of us don't do half of what you've done. But because you might not have been in the the right place at the right time, or you might, that might not have been your role, though. Mm-hmm. As long as you were supportive of making it happen. I tell people in the NAACP, I said, you know, we've got folks in there who are very, very much involved. But some of them, we didn't know who they were until they got really involved. And so there was an organization where they could show their talents, mm-hmm. where they could do things, where mm-hmm. they could shine. But not everybody gets that opportunity. That's true. So I think we could talk all afternoon. However, we want to kind of narrow it down a bit. So I'd, I'd like to know if you have a message that you'd like to leave us with, something that that you think that people who have a chance to know you, what, what, what message would you like to leave us? To whom much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's all. I mean, look where we are. Mm-hmm. I haven't turned to an icicle yet. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lovely home here. Thank you. You've got a lovely friend. Mm-hmm. You're healthy. Mm-hmm. Look what God has given you. Oh, yeah. 
Where are we giving it back to? Mm-hmm. How are we giving it back to? It's all not in the same way. You have connections that I don't have connections. You, you're same here. We can all connect together and mm-hmm. make it happen. But to whom much is given, much is required. Thank you. This has really been an honor and just fascinating to hear your stories. And like I say, if we had, you know, six hours... Well, I'll come back again. <laughs> we, we'd love it. I'll and, come back again. Or just, and talk. Uh, I just want to end this with, again, appreciation and thank you very much. Well, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to share because I, I don't always sit down and tell people about stuff about me. I don't... I just I just don't. And, and it, I tell people all the time, I'm an introvert, but you don't. I know you don't believe that. I'm really yeah, an introvert. I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. Yeah. But I rise, I rise to the occasion. If I have to do it, yes. I'll do it. Yeah. But otherwise, somebody was telling me the other day, said they, somebody asked them whether they're lonely. And they said, no, I'm not lonely. I said, the same with me. I'm alone now. My husband's gone, but I'm not lonely. I mean, there are times when I miss him and stuff, but then mm-hmm. I say, somebody's going to miss me one of these days. So uh, I'm just... My refuge is my house. Mm-hmm. I have a sense of calmness when I go back home and go into my house uh, and do whatever I do. I, I feel comfortable. I'm okay. Well, I um, we want to thank Dr. Shannon Bannister for her fascinating story and for everything you've given to this community and other communities in the state and nationally. We haven't even gotten to your international work, so we'll, if we do a part two, we'll, we'll delve into that a bit. But uh, I just want to talk uh, just a moment um, to the general folks and just say if, if there is someone in your community, someone that you think uh, you'd like to hear more about um, and, and like, like for us to interview them, uh, we're going to try and interview one person a month. Uh, there's just so many amazing people here in Colorado uh, that have contributed to making this state just a healthier, uh, more equitable, more democratic place to live. And so we want to thank you for listening today and, of course, thank our first guest, um, Dr. Oh, nice. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> Dr. <laughs> that's Shannon Bannister. That's an honor. And um, for um, Elder Voices of Colorado, this is Nancy Jackson with Carolyn Bowler and Dan Jackson saying, uh, let us learn from those who came before us and be grateful for what they have done to lift us all. And thank you. <laughs>